All right, Ben, the red live button is on. So that is saying we are live. Awesome. How's it going? <laughs> Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Um, I'm in Kentucky. Weather is not bad uh, for being in Kentucky in February. So you never know here in the Ohio River Valley or Ohio Valley. Um, what about you guys? Uh, we are in Toronto and it's a balmy two degrees Celsius. So. 30 mid to high 30s yeah. <laughs> yeah that's not bad yeah not bad not bad <laughs> it could definitely be worse i'm sure yeah, much worse this winter so <laughs> it's all good that's funny all right guys thanks for popping in again uh those that did not know this is a double header we were just live a few minutes ago so i appreciate you guys uh sticking around for for another level up experience um we have a ben pfefferman ceo of amuka esports and we'll dive in in just a minute. Just want to say hi to everybody in chat as you come in. Go ahead and post. Frank's already. Frank is first. What's up, Frank? How you doing? Thanks for being here. Go ahead and post. Let us know if you have a have a second here to let us know where you're coming from. Always love to see where you guys are. And it's all over the place. I mean, it's really cool to see um, all the different countries. Um, you know, all the different cultures. Esports is global. Um, so is LinkedIn. It's just, I don't know. It's just really cool how all that's interconnected and we're able to see uh, a lot of different perspectives from other countries. So thanks for posting you guys. Let us know where you're at. We're going to get started here in just a minute. Really do appreciate Ben, you being here, taking the time to be on the live stream. My pleasure. My pleasure. Okay. All right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, give you the floor, Ben, tell you about yourself a little bit. Kind of frame it up, and we'll go from there. Oh, no, I hate talking about myself. But uh, <laughs> since I'm here anyway, uh, I might as well get to it. So, yes, uh, my name is Ben Fafferman, and I'm the CEO of Amuka Esports. And uh, what we do is we're creating local esports hubs. Uh, so a hub is both a physical venue, so it's a place where people can play and compete, uh, but it's much more than that. Uh, we build in a tournament team, a content team, a media team, a esports incubator, and create a entire space where people can do anything they want in the esports industry. So we have that already in our call it flagship um, location in Toronto. Uh, we're looking to continue to grow it and then to build it out to other cities across North America. Very cool. So a couple, uh, I want to break down um, all those different components. Uh, and that's what's most interesting to me uh, about Amuka Esports is the different, uh, you know, it's an ecosystem, uh, kind of, if you will. So if you kind of break those down uh, for everybody to listen, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, sure. At the end of the day, I just was finding that any one vertical was a really tough business. You're just going to be a tournament organizer. You're just going to be a venue. You're just going to be a team. I'm not saying you can't do it. It's just, it's really hard. And it didn't make sense to only focus on one and want to build a diversified play. So venues are great. Venues are great places where people can compete to play, but nine to five, most land centers are empty. To me, that doesn't make any sense. So we wanted a place that is utilized 24 seven, you know, whether it's people are streaming here, whether they're competing, we have a co-working space, so so nine to five, everyone's doing stuff and working, um, and that's how we're really going to create that unique esports community or ecosystem that we have in Toronto. Um, and then I want to take that model and and really learn from it, validate it, and apply it into other cities. Uh, so you said you're in Toronto now. Uh, kind of what is the uh, you're looking at the landscape over the next couple quarters, over 2020, 2021? Uh, where are you guys looking to to go into? Yeah, so right now um, our our facility is 14,000 square feet, which is great as a single venue, but we want to have a couple satellite venues. So we're going to add probably two more in Toronto and then a couple, probably five more at the different universities in the greater Southern Ontario area um, that have a different footprint, kind of two to 3,000 square feet game pubs, basically bar, restaurant, gaming, a little bit more console based. Um, and then in terms of, you know, U.S. markets, um, always love Dallas, the, the DFW area, 
And um, now after going to, to Phoenix and Scottsdale last week, I was really surprised by the complete lack of esports infrastructure there, given the size of the metro area. Uh, so that's definitely an area we'd, we'd love to expand to. Okay, outside of, uh, we'll get back to venues a little bit as well. Uh, also talk about, uh, you know, we mentioned that Amuki Esports is, is, an, is an ecosystem, as you said, kind of diversifying, uh, you know, human capital, financial capital. Um, talk a little bit about the level six incubator, what that is, uh, and some kind of the, the mindset behind having that part of Amuki Esports. Yeah, I think the genesis of starting level six was that, I was noticing because, you know, we started investing in companies and eventually, you know, our model, we do, we do acquire or buy a lot of companies. Uh, so, <coughs> excuse me. So after seeing so many companies really realizing that esports entrepreneurs are so terrible at running businesses more than any other vertical I've seen, uh, people just mixing up revenue expenses, even a you know, net profit or loss, general and basic things like that they had no idea about. So. Um, the idea of level six, you know, it's called level six because the area code in Toronto is 416. And if you follow basketball culture, you know, it's like the Raptors and Drake and it's all about the six. So mm -hmm. anyway, in case people were wondering why level six, uh, but yeah, we also want to pick six companies, uh, per, per cohort as well. So you have the problem that they're bad entrepreneurs. They have very, and the problem that esports startups face, which I'm sure a lot have shared with you on, on your program, is that not only is it hard to be a startup and raise capital and all the risks, but then you have that added layer of having to explain what esports is to people. So, and I guess I would add that no one in this industry really knows how to make money anyway. So when you add in all these factors, there's just a low probability of success. So we wanted to say, Let's bring in six great companies. Let's work with them. Let's give them uh, mentorship and share all the things that we've we've learned over the past few years being in the industry. Um, they'll go through a 10-week program, um, a lot of business training, business planning, investor decks, pitching, et cetera, cater to esports companies. Uh, and then if they're good companies in the end, we'd either invest or potentially even acquire them. What's the difference uh, between, I would say, you know, Mooka Esports Incubator and other incubators? That Because there's, there's quite a few out there. Is there a kind of a differentiating factor uh, when it comes to comparing maybe some that are out there? For esports, and again, I could be wrong. I don't know of another really esports incubator out there in North America. Like, obviously, Bitcraft started like that as a incubator accelerator. Um, but they're not actively, from what I understand from, from Jens, they're not actively incubating any more companies. Um, Misfits do have an accelerator. So I think there's a lot of accelerators, which are for later stage companies, which really need more capital and different needs. Uh, but on the incubator side, we're taking companies almost at the ideation stage, where they have an idea, they have a passion for this business, and they're asking, where do I go now? What do I do now? And those are the types of companies we're, we're trying to help. <clears throat> so very early stage, like you said, the ideation stage um, and helping because, again, I, I talk about this a lot that, you know, a lot of us have a lot of ideas <laughs> in this space to say it to say the very least. Right. But it's but it's executing on that idea. Uh, like, I think a lot of us would agree that VRAR is going to be something. Right. I mean, there's there's the there's a little little, little known secret. It's going to be something right in a few years. But being able to execute against it is what you're going to have to do to make it. So where's that, the difference between an idea and execution. So um, that's kind of how I see what you guys are doing, uh, putting that together and putting the to structure. Yeah. So when we, when we look through the intake and look through all the companies, you know, we're looking first off, um, do they have a good idea? Are they, if they're in a vertical that's crowded, what's the differentiation? There's a gazillion teams out there. It's not to say that teams can't work. But you have to be, you have to differentiate yourself from the 900 other teams that are competing in the same games. Uh, if you're going to be an online uh, TO platform, great. There's a gazillion online TO platforms. So we need to see differentiation. There has to be something you're doing that is serving a real need in the market. So that's step one. Once we we feel that's there, we'll look at number two, management team. Now, even though normally with a company, I look at management team one, it, if it's not a good idea, it's just... I have to I have to cut them right then and there because it's just too hard to screen at this point. So uh, number two, I look at the management team. 
um, what's their experience in esports? What's their experience in entrepreneurship and startups and capital and everything? So we give them a rating, um, and then we look at their plan. Um, all the companies submit a investor deck, so we look at their strategy, their plan. Like you said, implementation, execution. Do we feel comfortable these guys can execute on it? Uh, and then number four is, do we feel that that value can be exchanged both ways? Um, if this is a company that is in a vertical that's so outside of our expertise, then if we can't provide value, then we don't want to accept you because you should go to another incubator that that can help you. So we feel there's a good value exchange from both sides and the other three categories match up. And those are the types of companies we're going to accept. Uh, something you said about, look, and it, it's about when it, when it comes to on the investor side, uh, whether you're applying your financial capital to a company to help them, it, it's not just about, um, again, you, so you mentioned kind of idea and, and the humans behind it, right? It's not just one or the other. It's a combination of the first two things you said. I find that really interesting because as an investor, that's, that's filters that investors use because it, it, the idea is one thing, but again, it's the execution. So humans execute against the idea. So I better have a connection with the actual humans behind it as well. So it's, it's really interesting. You said that, um, I, I kind of heard it kind of goes parallel with it, um, because, Things are going to change in this space, especially with an early stage startup. It's it's so dynamic. You're pivoting constantly, right? Uh, inside the inside the overall umbrella or concept, but you are. It's about can I do I see these this this uh, person or these this group of people being able to pivot together as a team? That's kind of where my mind goes with. Is it the kind of the same process? A hundred percent. Even us, you know, at, at a movie esports, we've pivoted so many times. Um, First, we wanted to do a private investment fund, and that didn't work. And then we thought the strategy would be to go public uh, and invest in companies. And then we decided, you know, it doesn't make sense to invest in companies. We really need to be acquiring companies. And then we decided, yeah, you know what, not just acquiring companies, we really have to acquire them all locally together to create those synergies. So it took a lot of pivoting from different models and learning from mistakes to, to grow. And, you know, our core team has gone through a few iterations, and we've added, and we're much bigger. But... For sure, any team can't be locked into one way of doing things because, like I said, no one knows how to make money in this industry. And people who do are lying to you because <laughs> no one is making, no one is really making money. So we're all trying to figure it out together, and I think that's the attitude that you have to have. And, and again, to reiterate, the, the ecosystem of being there together uh, as a team, bringing together experiences from other spaces, other industries. Um, you know, it's, it's also really fascinating to, uh, listen to convert, be a part of conversations or listen to conversations from those, maybe not that have been in esports for 10 years, but have come from the finance space. And, you know, I kind of call it the financialization of esports and what's happening. Um, could you talk a little bit about that kind of like your experience? Um, cause obviously you're from a finance background, like it's, it's actually kind of hard to put into words for me, um, sometimes, but what is happening what's happened over the last couple of years and do, do you see this crossover from, you know, kind of the mainstream finance space and what those conversations are sounding like? Yeah, I, th I think the rise of the esports industry um, in Canada kind of is a little bit of an extension of the cannabis industry in terms of strategy and playbook. Uh, so what you had in cannabis was uh, Canada was very fortunate that they um, legalized marijuana Far, far in advance of many other countries, including most states. Um, and we have a very efficient capital market system and structure. So not only were Canadian cannabis companies going public very quickly, uh, U.S. companies were coming. And so there's a flood of listings, tons of companies going public, and everyone kind of learned the game. I mean, not that they didn't already. This happens in Canada in mining and resources all the time. But that playbook about, you know, getting rid of the U.S. VC model of, you're in it for five, 10 years, and then you exit finally with a big IPO is different here. Companies with five or 10 or $15 million market caps can go public and exit. Investors are happy for the liquidity event. So the cannabis rush led to the esports rush, and uh, quite a few companies have gone public already. 2020, there's going to be, I know of at least 10 that are ready to go public in, you know, in 2020, our company included. Um, and a lot of it's going to be Canadian companies. And I think more American companies are going to realize that the VC route is, doesn't meet everyone's needs and they rather exit early, you know, through Canada. Um, 
And that kind of leads me to, to another question um, around valuation, uh, around teams. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be necessarily about teams, but that's kind of where everybody, when you hear the word valuation in esports, it's obviously where minds go. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that kind of the, the valuation of what's happened, what's happened last few years, um, you know, getting uh, interesting messages of uh, 17x revenue is the going rate for teams and, you know, and things like that. So what, just kind of frame that. And then also just real quick for you answer that guys, make sure to jump into chat, ask some questions because I know there's questions around all these topics. So feel free to jump in because we want to uh, make this organic. So jump in there and ask us. But if you could uh, talk about that a little bit, Ben. Yeah. Okay, great. And I can see the questions too, right? In live comments. So that's pretty, you know, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Valuations. So the, the Forbes list, this is the second, I think the second year, maybe it's the third that they came out on esports valuations, uh, pretty lofty top teams are in the $400 million range. Um, I think what's interesting from that list is kind of two types of orgs ones that are focused on franchises and teams and the other that are sort of focused on brands. Um, you have your cloud nine and your TSMs, those are even Astralis, they're great teams. They're competitive teams. They feel it's all about winning. It's, it's the, the great model of feel the great team. If you win, you get sponsorship dollars and it keeps going you, things like that. Then on the other side, you kind of see the hundred thieves phase clan where they're not really good teams per se. Uh, and I don't think they care to be, they're not in it necessarily to be the best team. They're in it to be the best brand. Um, and I like that model a lot better. I think those valuations can stand on their own two feet a lot better because there's a lot of uncertainty in the, in the competitive team field in terms of um, what asset appreciation franchises will have, uh, what new games will come in, what kind of cap capex you'll need for new franchises. But if you take that all out of the equation and just say, it's all about building a brand, it's all about having people watch your content and buy your merchandise, and go to your events, things like that, um, then I don't mind paying 200 plus million for, you know, 100 Thieves and FaZe Clan. And I think even at those valuations, they might even be undervalued. Well, and that's, that's very interesting because the way my mind frames around all that is that the content creation, if you have that brand, as you mentioned, it, it creates a higher floor. If, if that makes sense uh, for those listening, it kind of creates that higher floor valuation for me. That's kind of how I look at it. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I don't think really anyone knows yet, of course, but that's where my mind goes with it. And it's, the, it's part of a diversification as well. It's not just about, as you mentioned, the competing and actually events and okay. The only thing the valuations around is based on performance, but it's also putting that floor in of, Hey, we've got these content creators that have this much, uh, following and all these analytics behind that, that's creating that that higher floor. Uh, is that kind of how you see it? Yeah, and I think within these within these valuations, um, what do you price your franchises at? Do you, do you have to price them in on your entry level, your twenty five million dollar, let's say, investment, or can you start to value the lift? And I actually don't really know Forbes's methodology well enough to really say how accurate uh, this list is based on that, but. Um, from that list, you know, do you think, and I want to interview you now, do you think <laughs> well, like 2020 list comes out in the summer or whatever it was, um, are there any companies that were not on the list that could make the list? Or do you think we're now, it's too entrenched once you've got your, your sort of two front one to two franchises, you know, you're kind of locked in and, and you're just going to ride that, that asset appreciation. I still think we're in the earliest earlier stages where there can be more disruption at this point at the, what's at the top. Um, what's also interesting that, and I also want to bring up, we're talking about a little bit is the, the league formations um, and, and, and potentially look, I'm not trying to be in, uh, totally negative on league formations and things like that, but it, it seems as if potentially what if, what if, and, and this is just devil's advocate, I guess, but what if some of these leagues fail? What does that look like? How does the consolidation look? How does the so though for me, I still think there's a there's a there's room for disruption, especially if we have um, some some top tier failures. Um, and again, not wishing that on anyone. I'm just saying it as is. And then what happens after that kind of the recovery, because as, as, as you're know, going through markets going, you know, the, the last 20 years, you look at all the different market cycles uh, in different niches and industries. We know we know the consolidation's coming now. We don't know when. 
<laughs> of course, we we don't know when that is, but I, that's kind of where how my mind looks at what's happened right now. And the real to me, the real opportunity is when that consolidation starts, when that when that whatever you want to call this pullback, um, you know, whatever you know, insert word that you want to use. How do you how are you going to also um, battle against? I, you know, the, I hate to throw the R word out, but the recession of a ma- from ma- from macro perspective, um, reckoning. You can use the word reckoning. <laughs> uh, the R word, right? Yeah, recession, reckoning. You know, so it's just look. I'm sorry to throw all that stuff out there, but that's kind of how you have to look at it from a big picture. Um, and uh, look, and as here's here's the other deal on this. Um, and as if you're a value investor, um, and again, of course, the buzz name is Warren Buffett, right? But if you're a value investor, you look for opportunities when there's carnage and chaos. And when was he most active? Oh, eight. That's when he was putting dollars to work. Oh, right. So I'm not saying I, I'm not wishing this on anyone or any teams like that, but it's, I think when you look at it from that perspective, um, you know, on the VC side, the investing side, um, you know, there, there's higher, there's high levels of risk and you want to take the least amount of risk. I mean, that's pretty obvious. So I just find it, I just find it really interesting as to where we've been uh, from 2015 and doing the research from 2015 to 2020. Uh, also on top of all this, I also want to get your take and you're also taking chat as well. Uh, most obviously most of the market in esports in general, kind of esports pure plays, if you will, uh, are private. Now did mention, uh, obviously there's some that are public, not saying there aren't, but a lot are private. Now we have seen in the public markets what has happened to private companies when they go public. Uber, Lyft, WeWork. Won't even get into WeWork. Uh, what happened with that? So what? And we see what the how the private market has valued certain tech companies. Okay. Now is it the same story with with esports? Is it the kind of the same story as far as that it's private? When it goes public, it gets crushed. Right? Uber, Lyft down fifty percent or at the lows down fifty percent from the from the IPO price. Um, do we, do we feel the private markets overvaluing esports in general? Kind of, what do you, what do you, what's your take on that? You think? Um, I think the majority of these, of the, the teams on that list will not go public because mm-hmm. they don't need to. Uh, Jerry Jones doesn't need to take his company public to raise money. Bob Kraft doesn't need to take his company public. To ra- They're billionaires. They don't need the capital and they don't want, they don't want the scrutiny. Um, so I'd say 80% are of companies on that list will not and have no need to go public. Um, the ones that aren't owned by billionaires, yeah, I think they will. Uh, I think 100 Thieves or FaZe Clan, you know, are companies that, you know, could do an IPO. Um, do I think there'll be a reckoning? Um, I don't because I think now they're going to be priced properly. Okay. An IPO doesn't work, not just, not because the company doesn't know how to make money per se, that's a huge reason, but also often it's just overvalued. And everyone wants to get in on that IPO. Just the price has to be right. Uh, Casper, for example, is a great example. They they did, just did a public listing. Um, investors balked at their at, at their range. They took it down. They said, "Okay, great." Then I had a, had a good start in the market. So that's what's just going to happen. Is the private markets are going to have to revalue esports franchises before they go public? Because the last thing anyone wants is to go public and have your stock crushed. And that has been what's happened to a few of the smaller esports companies that have gone public. And I think people are going to learn from that mistake. Make sure it's priced properly. You got the promotion. The liquidity is there. That uh, higher market cap companies are going public. And then I think there'll be some more success. Well, and you just look at public market. If you don't follow the public markets or the history on it, just for it's just an example of people know a name that they know is Facebook. When Facebook IPO at around forty dollars, it went below twenty. Within what six months? So it, it Facebook got cut in half. It happens. It happens to good companies. It's just part. It's just yeah. part of the market cycle. And there's nothing. I'm not saying there's something wrong with that. Look what I mean. Obviously, Facebook's done pretty well since then. So I'm. You know what I'm saying? So I, mean, I don't want to overreact and say this stuff of you know all the you know you know a certain company comes out and they IPO and they're down fifty percent. Hey, it happened to Facebook. I mean, and they're not a terrible company. I think we would you know as far as you know being able to to make a profit things like that. So. That's, that's just kind of things to think about. I always, my mind always goes to like the public public versus private market, um, and um, the, how it relates kind of the esports space. And then we mentioned earlier the financialization of it and how that process is, is playing out. It's really cool and really interesting to see um, kind of what's going with that. So, uh, so real quick, guys, jump in, ask some questions. Uh, I really love we love going over this topic. Me, I think me and Ben could talk together for a while without any questions, but we love hearing what you guys want to talk about. 
So feel free to yeah. <laughs> So I think Mitchell, so a couple of shout outs. Uh, Dan, Dan in chat, how you doing? Brendan, how you doing? Pierre, how you doing? Uh, looks like Mitchell has a question. Let me pull this up real quick, you all. Uh, do you believe something like COD uh, League or OWL is more in line with building a brand for ROI as opposed to the high entry point fee? What was the first question? What was the first acronym? What would uh, please? COD. COD. COD League? Yeah. Uh, actually just came up yesterday. Uh, someone pitched me on, you know, do I want to get into challengers? And the answer is no, I don't. Um, I, I actually, I think the COD franchise is great. I think what they're doing is great. Um, the World League will be very successful. I just don't really, I, and I, I respect that there, that there is going to be an amateur scene that they're supporting, unlike Overwatch Contender League, which is left for dead. Uh, but um, do I think it's a good investment? I, I, there's just not enough prize money to make it work. I, I looked at the salaries. I looked at the travel costs. I just can't see, um, I, I just don't see a business case for, for getting into the league. Um, if, they were to, if they were to move more to what Valve has and some open leagues and there'd be other ways to compete. I would definitely be interested if there was a, a flashpoint for COD or something, another type of league you can buy into that has security and stability. Uh, but right now, the way it is now, I just don't see any money in, in Call of Duty outside of owning a franchise. And of course that barrier to entry, the minimum 25 mil to even step in the door. So it's um, kind of obviously uh, shut off there for, for a lot of situations. So, um, hey, Chris, Chris, how you doing, man? So let me, let me try to get all this in here. Um, some Christopher Allen. One of the comments, I think, startup organizations are brands, in my opinion, could find more value in influencers over picking up teams. I don't think VCs or capital investors is the correct route. I've established a new brand. Have I put zero up? Made. Okay. Uh, so basically, he's talking about how the, the need for startup money is, is questionable and that you don't necessarily have to have that startup capital to get going in this space. It's kind of, it looks like the gist of that. Do you agree with that and anything, any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll unpack both points. Uh, content creators versus teams. Uh, absolutely. I absolutely am going in that direction versus owning a team. Um, these guys play for you. They leave. What do you have left? Zero. Like you have nothing to show for it. Uh, but you build some great content creators. They build up your channel. You have some IP you can continue with. It's a much better play. Um, you're reaching more eyeballs. Uh, so I for sure believe in stream teams, content creation teams over pro teams. Um, and there is no barrier to entry for either. I mean, to create content is relatively cheap. Uh, the barrier to entry for teams is also relatively cheap. Um, play locally there's a lot of, if you live in a big city and there's a lot, a lot of local tournaments you have minimal travel costs just fielding a team yeah why not go for it i think at the end of the day if you're going to feel the team you're going to do it because you love it you're going to do it because you're passionate about it because you you care about it you care about the players you care about the teams those are the reasons you should be building a team to pay the bills and to be your day it's just it's not going to happen so um better to sell enterprise software during the day and manage your esports team at night and on the weekends. Well, you just, you just said it. Content creation is a labor of love. Not saying that you can't make money doing it, but I'm saying there, there is a, there is a certain level of, um, you know, you're, you're <clears throat> again, not that, not that you can't make revenue off of it, but you have to, like you said, love what you're doing with it. I mean, I, again, that's with, that could be with anything, but I, I think even more so in the content creation space because uh, a lot of talk around burnout and things like that. If it's the more it is about who you are and what you're doing and that you love it, the less that's going to happen. Um, and then if you surround your, if you create a team like that, that's kind of the culture that you're looking for. But I, the other point you made is, you know, your team, your content creators leave. What do what do you have left? What do you have? You are your content. Your company is your content. And the companies that understand that, which some do, some have some have a great grasp on it. On it, some you know others don't, in my opinion. In some conversations, uh, you, you are your content, um, and that's your lifeblood. Now, whether you would feel it the next day, I don't know. But over time, it could degrade if you're not if you're not having that that content be kind of that ground floor. We kind of talked about earlier. So yeah, I think about you know Ninja was signed to Luminosity. How many people really even remember that? 
Exactly. (laughs) Gone. Just, I mean, and again, maybe not overnight, but it it degrades, right? And it diminished the diminishing return of, you know, once, once he was gone. So it's, I I think it's really, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. And I think it's something that, um, need to understand more and to really comprehend what's happening. And because I still think that it's like, Oh, you know, content is a commodity influencer are commodity. And it's just kind of like, whatever, we'll just plug and play. And that's a lot of times it doesn't end up working. Um, everybody's got to be on the same page as far as, you know, who you are, what your culture is. Um, and it's seen through uh, the content that you make. So yeah, Chris. Uh, yeah. So that's a really, it's a really good question. I appreciate that. Um, and speaking of content, can you tell a little bit about uh, the content team there at Amuka Esports? Uh, I think you kind of the guys called the 24-7 content team. Yeah, uh, so we acquired a company called Organized Gaming, and uh, they, they produce uh, a lot of great shows. They do a series called Passion Forward, uh, which documents uh, some uh, both local uh, esports athletes, uh, coaches, um, community organizers you know, across the big city of Toronto and even beyond. So that's all on their channel. Uh, we also recently launched Esports Unfiltered. Uh, this was really because um, I was tired of a lot of content creators in the sort of esports news and analysis segment uh, not taking positions on issues. I felt they were spineless. So I wanted to create a um, no holds barred uh, esports show where I tell you my opinion and I'm not sorry about it. Okay, I am Canadian, but I'm not sorry about my opinion. <laughs> Uh, We often do the one take. Sometimes it's one take. I know what I want to say. I say it, and that's it. That's awesome. But you are Canadian official. You know, you'll make that official. But you're not sorry. That's hilarious. That's really funny. That's a lot of nice people up there. I've been there, and it's. uh, (laughs) I didn't think anyone like you up there. Not nice Canadians. I want people to see that we. I am kind of lumberjacky, which is kind of. Stereotypical Canadian. But, that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's it's on it's it's on our YouTube channel. Yeah, very cool. Um, it, yeah, and that that kind of goes with, you know, we're it's it's funny. We're all we're in the same space, right? We're in well, a lot of us are in esports. We we all have companies and things like that. It but it's funny how, you know, we're together, but if you're in the same niche as someone else, you're competing, and people don't like. Like, oh, that's scared. Like, don't say that. Like, but that's part of the market. It's okay to compete. Like, that, that's part of what it is. And that's that's going to make us better. Like, it's okay to say that. I don't see that enough. Kind of like, I'm not coming after people and things like that. But the competition makes us better as a whole. So let's let's admit it. Let's, within verticals, you are competing. Even though we're, you know, we're an esports family, right? But we're competing. And, you know, I'm not even... I, that just comes to mind for me, and it's again not being mean to anyone. Um, but well, it, it's a really good point. Um, listen, I'm a very, very competitive person. I want to win at all costs, okay, at all costs. But also, I, I just in the pre-show, I was wearing a competitor's hat, and I didn't even notice. <laughs> uh, I did change. I'm going to wear my Muka hat for this, but I'm walking around my office all day with my competitor's hat on because I don't really care. And um, that's funny. I, I, you know what? We really all rise and sink with the tide. And, yeah. uh, you know, when another company IPOs, even if they're a direct competitor, I want them to be successful because if all these esports companies are failing, it's just going to give a bad name, a black eye to the industry. So um, I support everyone, um, especially being a venue, the opportunity to let lots of competitors run events and do stuff in our space. And, I'm very for it. Um, there's very few companies that like I don't want to do business with. Try to keep that open door, and I think whether we're in the same company or not, we're all, you know, we're all going to rise or fall, uh, you know, with the esports tide. Um, but it, again, but your the the competition pushes each other. Like again, now that's going to be super super micro niche. And what's fun, what's so interesting. Is there's there's overlap there's there's a lot of these overlaps and conversations I've had with other startups. It's like you kind of hear what's what, what a startup is doing. It's like oh that's a that's a potential partnership with this other project, and it's so cool to see that to put those pieces together. Many many times, more times than not, actually they're more partners versus competitors. What I've noticed so far because of all just the missing pieces, I think that's that's going on right now. That it's almost 
it's almost hard to directly compete right now. I don't even know if that this is making any sense. This is just what's coming out of my brain, like but through conversations, but more times than not, it's like, wow, that's an interesting partnership. But initially it's like, Ooh, that sounds like a competitor. But then when you dive really deep, you're like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Like those two companies can work together. Yeah, so I, I totally agree. And everyone's doing so many different things in the industry. They must have one road that leads in your direction. And I think when people reach out to connect and they're in the industry, I'm very apt to take the call even if I don't know where it could lead because I know there's so many tentacles, so many ways to make money that one of them is going to be a good fit for partnership or something with me. And you know, that, that's where you got to see the value. Yeah. So the bat in it, but it's balancing all that. But again, it's so cool to see that uh, the synergy uh, in the space and having conversations and, and, Ne always just be have an open mind. I, I was telling someone, I think that well, actually the last stream, like last couple of streams is like, for me, it's really about building relationships. And then from the building relationship top, if you want to call, I don't like the word funnel, but if you were to use the word funnel, you know, you build the relationships and then from there, everything plays out. Right. And then cr try to create the, the highest value that you can for that particular situation, whether it's a person on the phone or you're making content, like think about the person on the other side and bring as much value as you possibly can for them. And then in the end, you're going to do okay. You know, um, especially in a time in an industry right now still. And again, it's not brand new. I'm not, I, you know, I'm not saying esports is new guys have been around for two decades plus, but it's, it's, you still want to build a foundation and people ask all the time. I'm sure you get a lot of questions too. Like, Oh, how do I get started in esports? Oh, I see esports. Like, how do I even get into this? And how do I get a job? And, and all that it is really, in my opinion, it's about creating the maximum value for the other person for the other side, whoever that may be, um, whether it is an employer or it's someone just watching your content in general. So that's just something I go to. No, that's a good point. Can I answer that question? How do I get a job in esports? Sure. It's, it's a good one, you know, because people ask all the time. Look, I think if you're making money right now in the esports industry, you're living the dream. Okay. So, Anyone who's already in needs to appreciate what they have, that very few people are getting salaries in this industry, so you should be very fortunate. But that being said is, you know, like, you know, people ask, you know, what do I do? And I say, well, do you go to any events? I'm like, no. Okay. Uh, do you attend any learning events or networking events? No. So it's, to me, it's, it's so obvious, like, get out there, like, go to events, whether or not you're competing in them, like, Check out a Smash scene. Uh, even Matchup Gaming uh, has uh, Smash events every Thursday. Go out, check it out, meet people. Like that's how you network and get in. Because this is like kind of like Hollywood. <laughs> like everyone's got, you know, in Hollywood, everyone's got a script and pushing their project. Same here. Like every Smash player is like pushing some passion project somewhere. That like you're gonna meet the right fit. That's how you get out and meet people. And I think too many people rely on online like networking, which is very important. Don't get me wrong. LinkedIn is great for business development, but nothing can replace actually getting out there, going to events, meeting people. And, and that's work. <laughs> and quite frankly, you know, in a lot of situations, I just think, you know, I, I hate to say that I'd say this or whatever, high level stuff, whatever, but you know, it, it's, it's just grindy, uh, uh, not uh, glamorous work. That has to be put in that, that you'll not see a, like there's not a transactional return of, oh, I made one hundred ninety nine dollars by going to this event. It's it does not how this works. So as soon as people understand that mentality of it, but not just in esports, that's within anything else. The transactional mindset of, hey, I'm going to do this this week for one week. I'm going to make content. And by next week, I'm going to be making eighteen dollars an hour. That doesn't it doesn't work like that. It's not a traditional on the content side, especially like it's that's just does it's it's a long term investment in yourself and what you're doing or the company that that you're a part of or both, right? So that it, it's it's we were just talking about that in last live stream as of uh, looking at something and stop, stop looking at it as a transaction and sales and look at the relationships, look at your brand, who am I trying, who am I, who am I, and just put that in your content and whatever it is. So um, and it could be on the individual company level, so. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Uh, so, other questions? Feel free to post. Uh, we've got a. We'll have a couple of more here again. Uh, ben Pfefferman, CEO of Amuka Esports. Uh, I do. I do have a quick. Uh, a quick question. Uh, this complete shift. But I, I'm. I'm very big into retro games. I know you guys are as well. You guys did a video on esports unfiltered about that. Um, 
what, where do you where do you see retro games going as far as like competition? Um, is this something I'm just kind of making up in my head? Like that this, this actually might be a thing as we as we go along. Um, what do you think about um, kind of the retro game space and where it might go? Uh, I do think it's real, and I think it's here to stay. Um, I, I would define it as anything Super Nintendo, uh, N64, and older. Okay, that kind of around 2000 and earlier. Uh, a lot of games people would have played competitively if there were more, if there was a scene for these games, like GoldenEye as an FPS. Would have been a huge, huge scene. Yep. He missed the boat time-wise, technology-wise, etc. Doesn't mean it can't happen now. So now people, the guys who and girls who grew up creating these scenes, and NHL '94 is the one I play a lot of. There's a huge annual tournament in New York and Toronto every year, and people play NHL '94. Uh, build on that really made a mark on gaming history uh, and trying to make the bigger scenes for 2020. So it's going to be NHL 94, uh, NBA Jam uh, for baseball, uh, Ken Griffey Jr.'s baseball, and yep. um, NFL Blitz is um, for Super Nintendo. Uh, those are probably the big retro games. And then on the FPS side or non-sports, uh, Royal Rumble for all the wrestling fans out there. Uh, so we're different events. We're bringing these games back. And it's funny going back to like going back to the basics, like reverse engineering, you know, instead of like, you know, like all really cool graphics and this gameplay and whatnot. And then you tap into the passion that kind of got missed out. I mean, cause there, it, it, it's just, as you said, if there was the structure of what an e, what esports is today, those scenes would have been huge, absolutely massive for, for GoldenEye, even like Perfect Dark. I mean, some of those FPS. So it, it's so cool to, to look back at that. And I, I think that's an that's an interesting take as well. Um, lo, just looking at what what it could be and kind of like reverse thinking of what's happening. Um, and also like speed running. Speed running kind of comes to mind. You're starting to see a little bit of momentum in speed running games. Um, and, and some of the like the viewership on Twitch and things like that starting to explode. Um, I, I <laughs> Corey said, you know, for, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go on. Sorry, you go ahead. Sorry about that. Just Chris, I think we're, we look like we're around the same age, mid thirties guys, you know, or in our thirties. Um, keep up with the latest sports games. Like I, I NHL 20, I have to play FIFA and, you know, NBA 2K. Too much. I've just long. So um, retro are so easy to pick up. People question is this uh, enough, but uh, I really enough in the meta. Uh, there's enough strategies and things to do in a lot of the games. You're never going to get bored. You're going to have great gameplay every time. And I play almost every day. I beat my brother online. Uh, and I the watching retro gaming, you know, Monday at 10 a.m. Um, and so much fun. Yeah, Corey says, I think games today focus more on being real than being fun. Retro games have this simple arcade mechanic to them that makes them timeless. So speaking of uh, your brother, so yeah. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's in Mario 60. I mean, I can just nip Mario 64, uh, or sorry, Mario Kart 64 or, or on Super Nintendo. Um, just, just some of these, yeah. I, I would just, I want to right now, like I'm so pumped. Like I want to just compete with someone right now in like, Mario 64, Mario Kart 64. Um, and then my brother, uh, so he's, he's a Super Smash Brothers Melee pro and been for a number of years on the scene there for about five, four or five years, a partner Twitch streamer, like, and, and they deal with CRTs. They deal with, I mean, this game is 20 years old. Smash Melee is 20 years yeah. old, guys. Two decades old, and they had 102,000 peak viewership at Genesis two weeks ago, three weeks ago. It's incredible. I mean, so 
the the it's it's there like the the passion for these older titles are there and that right there shows you and also something interesting about smash melee all the different smash games that have come out past melee that was supposed to kill smash melee and after smash 4 all the way through right and ultimate's out now and they kind of they go together right but all these other games felt they fell by the wayside and like that game is still around after 20 years so that's a great i think it's a great example of an, an older title that's kind of stood the test of time it's an incredibly loyal player base, uh, but Melee in particular, yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, um, melee, the lowest in any sport, any sport out there, and they don't care. It's not about the money for Melee players. You're doing it because you love it. That's the success of the team. Um, me and my brother put on an event. I sponsored a little bit of it at, at the University of Louisville, and we had people travel six and a half hours from Columbus. They came six and a half hours, and the prize—it wasn't about the prize pool. It was—it was—it it wasn't about that. It was like the pro- whole prize pool was like three hundred bucks. It wasn't about that. Yeah. I mean, everyone's having a blast. You know, everyone's having a blast there. You know, and it was just a lot of fun. Uh, and it was interesting because you know, because I was sponsoring the tournament, and they're like, "Oh, the sponsors actually here." They're like, "You're like interesting." Like it was just. I don't know. And if you're looking, if you're trying to learn about the space and be a sponsor, like you just said, like get out there and do it, get out there and experience it, be with the players. Like, you know, you can't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's not that if you sponsor something, you have to be there, you know, at every single event all the time. I know logistics, but it's like, if you're able to do that, you'll learn so much just about the space and the grassroots of things. I think it's just something that's overlooked. And, you know, people know that they don't uh, put any money into the professional pricing pool. Um, but maybe they're right. Maybe they did. They, the scene had to fend for themselves, uh, raise money through sponsorship, and maybe it's a better scene because of the because of that. Um, and that's why they got into Evo in 2013 was because of the community raised so much money, it raised so much awareness that they, that's what got them into Evo in 2013. Like all based on the community fire behind it. So it's a great point you made. So I don't know. It's it's really interesting topic uh when you look at some of these older titles and can can they be you know can can they be rekindled can that can like this this old pat that say old that this passion uh for these older titles turn into a, an actual esport and like i don't know birth it you know what I'm it's it's just really cool to see that i think the, i think the answer is yes so I'm, I'm interested to see like the execution on it so if game developer a re-release of old games on new consoles I think the the biggest challenge is not everyone has the original game emulators and are not yeah. by the by the game publishers. Uh, so just like what you know Blizzard has done with Warcraft, uh, if EA did the top game, it'd be tremendously successful. Mm-hmm. And then you know for just for example, um, and what's and just for the fact that we just. Why also all this is so volatile? This is kind of a, just a top level thing, but a lot of people that don't, don't know, Dota, Dota was a mod off of Warcraft Three. It wasn't even a standalone game; it was a mod off of Warcraft Three, right? So that so who who could have expected that back then? Like that that was going to happen? You would never have known like that was going to happen in that way before it even happened, right? So that's the volatility that's potential. Um, kind of in the space and the disruption, na- disruptive nature, as you mentioned. So, and uh, so a couple comments. Oh, no, if you don't support your uh, your community and players, look what happened. They lost it, and Valve picked it up, and the rest is history. Exactly. Um, yeah. So a couple comments. Dan says Chrono Trigger is is mine, but I love speed runs. Yeah, speed running. I, I I just see it as, as potentially very undervalued right now, just as a concept. Uh, as you see the viewership kind of uh, picking up and everything, I think it's an interesting area to look into. Um, <laughs> Corey says Ben ruined NHL '94 for me. NFL Blitz '64 is my favorite retro game. <laughs> Too many losses. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. Uh, Dan also says for streamers, it's easy, really easy for people to comment and make suggestions. So that increases viewership, the community aspect, like we talked about. Oh, you gotcha. So you're talking about with retro games. Yep. Uh, Justin, Justin said that smash viewership was higher than the call of duty league viewership. 
to chew on that. That's interesting. Right. Um, yeah, Marvel vs. Cap. Yeah, I saw it. Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is back at Evo. So you see, I mean, the, the communities, that's why, because they're, they're pushing it. And that's what happened to Smash Melee 2013. And you're just, you're just continuing to see that uh, these communities have, have propped it up this long. They're, it's not going anywhere. Um, now, how it's executed to become a higher tier scene, that's kind of, I, I don't know what the answer is to that. So, but. And, and there is a um, retro gaming ship. Uh, I think it's in Las Vegas coming up soon. Um, I'll double check. But, <laughs> Excuse me. Speed running is not going to Evo. It's just not really going to fit into there, into that. Um, so maybe this retro is its own category, and and these games uh, may be to be featured at the World Ga Retro Gaming World Championship. In touch with those organizers. I'd love to bring the Canadian Retro Gaming Championships to Canada um, and test out new games, see what the cut. You never know what the scene is until you build it. That's what I always say here. So um, why not throw it out there? And um, who knows? It could be thousands of people that are just waiting to, uh, to see these games make a comeback. No, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, and Corey went on to say Super Mario Maker is really going to change speed running. So it's just, it's going to morph and change, and it's going to be it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So, uh, so real quick, we're going to uh, tidy things up here here at the end. Ben, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way to learn more about Amuki Esports? Yes, uh, follow us on socials. Uh, obviously, uh, you know LinkedIn, Ben Pfefferman. Um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch. Everything. So it's Amuka Esports. Our Twitch channel is Amuka Esports TO Toronto. Also, some complications there. So, yeah, that's the best way. And um, yeah, definitely, you know, uh, connect up with me on LinkedIn. And um, I'd love to, you know, meet more members of the community. Yeah. So make sure to connect with Ben and Amuka Esports. Ben, I want to thank you for being on. I want to thank everybody in chat for all the questions and being organic. Uh, and diving into some really interesting topics. So I appreciate your time being with us. I know your time is valuable and I appreciate it. And uh, again, thanks everybody in chat. Um, I don't, I don't, I think, I think we'll be back on. I think you come back on, right? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. All right. We're going to break some big news on level up experience. I'm going to get a really hot news tip in the esports industry and I'm going to drop it right here. <laughs> as soon as you, yeah, yeah. You're hitting me up and uh, yeah, some uh, insider information. <laughs> That's great. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate y'all being here and we will see you uh, tomorrow on the level up experience. See you, Ben. Great. Thank you. See ya. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. Just want to thank everyone who has done a five-star rating or review. If you enjoy the content, this is a way to get the word out about the Level Up experience, and I really do appreciate it. A couple things, if you want to get connected uh, outside of the podcast, um, we do a live stream on YouTube and LinkedIn. So just search Level Up Experience on YouTube uh, to be a part of the live stream there. We also do LinkedIn Live, as mentioned. Search my name, Chris Reed, C-R-I-S-R-E-E-D, to get notifications on either platform. Thank you all for all the support, and we'll see you on the next episode.